This is Talk Radio. We'll get back to the talk in just a second. Why am I playing Charlie Wilson? I'm glad you asked. Because today, Uncle Charlie gets his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Congratulations to Charlie Wilson. It's about time. Um, I know what I know what it feels like. I got one of those about 10 years ago, I guess, uh, when I got my star on the Walk of Fame. One of the greatest days of my life. The only time. I've been in L.A. for 30-plus years. L.A.'s home. I've lived here longer than anywhere in the world, anywhere else I've lived in the world. Um, and it's the only time that my entire family made it out to L.A. I've got nine brothers and sisters and my mom and my dad uh, and my family all came out for uh, the celebration of my star. It was an amazing day, beautiful day, t- hundreds and hundreds of fans out uh, when I got my star. So I know what that feels like, and I can only imagine uh, how this is going to hit Charlie today. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing day. For Charlie Wilson, well-deserved. But I, I, sometimes I think when I hear people getting a star, like, man, they ain't got a star yet. Charlie should have had one a long time ago. So congratulations to Charlie Wilson. Uncle Charlie got his star today uh, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and I'm happy about that. we got to get Charlie in studio. Charlie hasn't been here. I haven't talked to Charlie in a, in a minute. Um, so i got to call Charlie, get him to come in and uh, talk about his, uh, do a career conversation with Charlie Wilson and talk about his music and his star but I'm just thrilled. I was excited when I heard the news that Charlie was getting his start today. So uh, we're going to play a little Charlie Wilson between now and the rest of the show. We can squeeze it in, uh, celebrating our brother. Congratulations once again to Charlie Wilson, his star, unveiled today on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In this hour, hour two, two great conversations on the backside of this hour. A conversation about the ways in which these massive media layoffs are disproportionately affecting journalists of color. And it's not just the L.A. Times, although it pains me to see what's going on there. Uh, you know the old adage, last hired, first fired. We'll talk about it uh, with Hannah Tamiz, writer and editor, currently working for the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard University, that on the B side of this hour. But I am honored, I do mean honored, to start this hour with the former governor of Ohio, Dick Celeste, also a former ambassador to India, former Peace Corps director, has a wealth of knowledge over a long career in public service. But here's why I really wanted to have him on. While governor of the Buckeye State, he commuted eight death row inmates, eight, and says that in retrospect, not abolishing the death penalty is his biggest regret. We're going to talk about what happened to Kenneth Smith in Alabama in our third hour today, the first person ever to be killed by nitrogen gas they gassed this brother to death in alabama so there's a whole new wave now of product uh, a whole new process uh, for putting people to death in this country that involves uh, pain and torture the experts say so we're not getting better on this issue in some ways we're getting worse even as many people talk about the abolishment um, of the death penalty but uh, governor celeste is rare uh, in that he commuted eight death row inmates while he was governor of the Buckeye State. Uh, I am honored to welcome Governor uh, Dick Celeste to this program. Governor, how are you, sir? I'm good, thank you, uh, Tavis. It's uh, it's good to be with you. <laughs> it, it, it's good uh, good to have you on, man. It's good to hear your voice, um, and uh, I thank you for the time. Uh, we only got about 30 minutes here or less, but I wanted to make the most of it. Uh, I want to talk, uh, before, I, before I let you go, talk about your, your, your book is out. Uh, it's called In the Heart of It All, An Unvarnished Account of My Life in Public Service. I mentioned a moment ago you've done so much in public service, but I really want to hone in for the few minutes here, if I can, on your commuting these eight death row inmates. Uh, broadly speaking, why did you do that? That's not always popular these days, but you did. Why? Well, <laughs> you're right. The way my kids say, I didn't know how to hold a job because I've done so many different things. <laughs> um, I uh, it, 
in my second term, uh, the pro- really the process began uh, a step ahead of the death row review. I I was approached by uh, some women because there, they had done a study at the women's prison in Ohio, and they had concluded that the vast majority of women who had sentenced to prison time for whatever reason had had struggled with abuse when they were very young. Uh, mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, uh, those kinds of uh, pressures. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to consider looking at the sentences of a number of women who had killed their abuser. I went through that process. In the end, I reviewed 106 cases, and I made a decision to commute the sentences for 29 women who had killed the person who was abusing them um, to three years in prison plus 250 hours of public service. Mm. And when I did that, I mean, that was that was uh, a major sort of shock to the system. We did not have in Ohio uh, the ability to use the battered woman syndrome as a defense in court. And that mm. was one of the reasons why I wanted to consider these cases. As a result of going through that process, the state public defender came to me and asked me to review uh, death row sentences, and he asked me to do a blanket commutation. And I told him, I, in the cases where I I'd commuted the sentences for these women, I'd reviewed each case in depth. I wasn't in a position to review each of the cases on death row in depth. But that if he would let me know who were the who were the individuals who were first in line for execution, I would review their cases. Hold that thought, Governor. Uh, so you you agreed to review the cases of those who were first in line. I've already told you how this story ends. He commuted eight death row inmates. He'll tell us how and why he did it when we come forward. We, you're listening to Tavis Smiley. Uh, our guest is Governor Dick Celeste, former governor of the Buckeye State of Ohio. You're listening to Tavis Smiley, Tavis, Tavis Smiley, ranked number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and former Ohio Governor Dick Celeste was just telling us the story of how um, uh, uh, he was asked to review um, those who were first up on death row in Ohio. Governor, pick up the story, please. Well, we had we had uh, 106 uh, men on death row and four women on death row at that time, Tavis. And I did not have the capability in, in the time that I had uh, toward the end of my term to review all of their files. And so what I decided to do was to uh, commute the sentences uh, of the women to uh, life without parole, although in one case where it was clear she'd been abused. I, 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 she was eligible for parole. In the case of the men, it was it commuted the sentence of the four men who were top of the list to uh, life without parole. But I said at the time, I mean, I, I, I was deeply troubled by the death penalty. I voted against it as a state legislator. It, it, it is profoundly biased. It's biased in terms of education. Uh, if you look at the education level of people on death row, you'll find that most of them haven't finished high school. 
serious problems with addiction and mental health, and uh, uh, incredible differences in terms of the ability to have a a proper defense attorney. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, of course, the racial bias on death row was pronounced in Ohio. Over 30% of of the men on death row were African-American in a state where the general population was about 12% African-American. So right. um, I, in, the, in the end, I felt my responsibility was to exercise mercy on behalf of the people. Um, and uh, I wish that I'd done it for everyone on death row, frankly. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you said that uh, uh, one of your great regrets uh, was not being able to abolish the death penalty. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about that? Well, I, I, I actually had the authority to, to, uh, to commute the sentences of everyone who was on death row. I did not have the authority to abolish the death penalty because that was legally enacted into the Ohio statute. Mm-hmm. That's uh, under debate today in, in, in actively in Ohio, and I think that the current governor of Ohio would support a legislation that would uh, replace the death penalty with life without parole. Um, and I think that more and more of uh, our citizens believe that that's the right thing to do. So I, I'm, my hope is that that's the direction we'll move, not in the direction of the kind of horrific ex- execution that happened uh, just recently in Alabama. Yeah. T- tell me, I- I'm curious always as to the backstory, um, because I understand that sometimes politicians do things that are expedient for a variety of reasons. Um, but this seems to to be for you um, a heartfelt. It was, in fact, a heartfelt decision on your part to do exactly what you did for those women and for those death row inmates you laid out moments ago very beautifully and quite succinctly uh, uh, the the truth uh, about the way we apply the death penalty in this country. But I'm just curious if I can get inside your, your head and inside your heart. Like, how, how did you come to that? As, a, as an elected official, uh, you know full well that people love this notion of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There are some states, of course, that lead... Um, uh, Florida and Texas come to mind immediately. I was just reading some data last night, prepping for my third hour. I believe it's Florida and Texas who last year did almost all of the executions in this country. The overwhelming number, I'll give you more data in hour three, but the overwhelming number of executions last year took place in Florida and Texas. So not every governor, not every state sees it that way, but I'm curious as to how how that how that the notion of mercy, to use your word, how did that come to resonate with you? Well, I, I, Tavis, I mean, it started out with my upbringing and my, my, I grew up uh, very active in the Methodist church. Uh, it's got a strong social justice uh, element to it. And I think I was influenced that by that uh, from an early age. Mm-hmm. Throughout my public career, uh, people knew that I opposed to this death penalty. That was not a not a secret. Uh, I, I had spoken out against it uh in testimony in, in city of Cleveland, I'd, 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 I'd spoken out against it on the floor of the state legislature when I had a chance to vote on it. Um, and as 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 governor, I I, I had uh, the responsibility uh, as governor to uh, 
consider exercising, uh, the commutation authority, which is part of our Constitution. And so uh, that's what I did, and I spoke on it, about it publicly. I, it, you know, politics, it, it, it's not so much a party issue. I mean, I, I, after I did this, a fellow Democrat uh, who was the attorney general challenged what I had done. The courts upheld it because I did have that authority. But, um, you know, I think more and more people of conscience have to speak up. I think more and more public officials, especially those who pay close attention to um, the the deep injustices represented on death row, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that we would we would see more and more states moving away from it. I think the direction of most states has been to eliminate the death penalty rather than to um, carry on in the way that some of the states you've mentioned. Yeah. yeah, I was about to ask what you, what you recall about the response um, to your decision to commute those death row inmates' um, sentences, and uh, you've already kind of spoke to that, that you were challenged about that. Uh, well, one of the, you, yeah. yeah, that's a good question, because one of the concerns I had about doing a blanket commutation at the time was that it would it would incite a, a, a backlash that would only reinforce uh, uh, the exercise of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And, and just another example of how, how, how uh, uh, unjust it is, there are 88 counties in Ohio. 20% of the inmates on death row came from one county, mm-hmm. uh, Hamilton County, the mm-hmm. home of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, a totally arbitrary thing. And if you... Uh, if you lack education, if you happen to be black or brown, if you're poor, if you have a mental health issue, the chances of ending up on death row are much, much, much higher, and that's wrong. Yeah. Um, we're going to discuss this uh, in greater detail in our, th- in our third and final hour, as I mentioned earlier. I want to cover a few other things that you before I lose you at the bottom of this hour. We'll get to this uh, more expressly with the case of Kenneth Smith in Alabama. It's a very disturbing case. Sure. Uh, we'll talk to our guest about that, uh, Joy James, philosopher, in hour three. But let me just ask you right quick on that Kenneth Smith case uh, in Alabama, uh, what do you make of the fact that we are now using nitrogen gas to kill people? Well, you know, nobody wants to say that what we're doing is suffocating the person, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what the nitrogen gas does. And I, I, you talk about a cruel and unusual punishment. To me, that is a, a, a exemplary of, uh, of uh, one of the reasons why I strongly oppose the death penalty. Yeah, it's um it's disturbing for a lot of reasons. Again, we'll unpack that uh, more with our guest in our final hour today. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, your book, uh, In the Heart of It All, an unvarnished account of my life in public service. I started this hour, um, uh, 20, 23, 24 minutes ago, uh, by sharing with the audience that you're not just a former governor of the Ohio, uh, of uh, the Buckeye State in Ohio, but you're also a former ambassador to India, former Peace Corps director. And I stopped. You served in the, you served in the legislature there, as you mentioned earlier. You've done a whole lot in your career. And I, I want to just add in these moments that I have left with you, whether or not you believe that public service is still a noble profession. And I ask that against the backdrop of all that we see today. I don't need to color this much more for you. You're you're watching the same stuff I'm watching. The way folk behave, how gerrymandering means that when people get in, you can't get them out, how divided Washington is, say nothing of state legislatures, 
killing folk with nitrogen gas, etc., etc. I wonder whether or not you believe that public service, since that's in the title of your text, you believe in it, obviously, is it still a noble profession in this country? Well, it absolutely is. And, and, and I think my hope is that younger people coming into public service can uh, restore a sense of values and integrity to the system. I mean, one of the things that I love about young people today is they, they don't care so much about party or politician, but they care about the issues, and 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 they're determined to make their voices heard one way or another. And so I I, I want to encourage people. You don't. There are there are many temptations mm-hmm. in public life, uh, and and I talk about them in my book. Um, we have to be guided by, you know, our own value system and uh, you worked for somebody when you were working for Tom Bradley who mm. had a, a deep value system mm. and it, it it makes a difference and I think 2024 we're going to see this play out when, I, I watched it last year in Ohio when politicians tried to, to change the way they we would amend the constitution in Ohio and require 60 percent approval rather than 50 percent plus one and the people just overwhelmingly in, on an August day I mean, the politicians scheduled the August, the election in August, and on August day turned out uh, not eight percent like the year before, or twelve percent like usually, but thirty-eight percent to protect their rights. And I, I think this next year, this this year in, the, in November, they're going to take on the issue of gerrymandering mm-hmm. and take it out of the hands of politicians, put it in the hands of citizens, so that we get some honesty and integrity back. Yeah. Um. Every every presidential election, it seems we we are we are focused on a number of states. Iowa uh, Iowa is one of them, of course. When it starts this process out, uh, then we go to New Hampshire, and now Democrats, of course, are starting in South Carolina. But when we get to the actual election in November, there are a number of states that we're all watching, and one of those states is always seems to be Ohio. Uh, and as you know, Ohio is a state, but it's really divided up in two or three different ways and parts. And so you got to check this part, you got to check this part, you got to check that part, and you see all the all the uh, all the uh, all the all the persons who are doing election night uh, polling on the different networks trying to explain how Ohio actually works. It's an interest <laughs> it's it's a, it is an interesting state as you know having been the governor of it. What's your sense of how how in play, how in play Ohio is going to be? in this election? I think it's going to be more in play than it has been for the last uh, two, two presidential elections. Wow. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be seriously contested. Mm. And, 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 and why do you think and, that you is? Know, well, you're, you know, I think it, part of it is the very fact that we, uh, that, uh, these issues that, that have been fought over the last year, first, the, amendment of the constitution on voting and then a, a reproductive rights issue mm-hmm. have brought uh, more and more people into the into the political process and these are folks who 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 want to see change i think that the i think uh, it's it's going to be challenged because they're going to be looking at two familiar faces and uh they're going to have to make a decision between those two familiar faces at the presidential level but I do think they, that people are going to want their voice heard this year. Yeah. And in Ohio, there's a very important Senate race. And you know, Sherrod Brown, who's the incumbent Democrat, mm-hmm. I think will have, have strong support. And people who otherwise might sit on the sidelines or 
uh, vote for the other party will support Sherrod Browning. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a, a very very interesting year, Thomas. And no. you you've watched this. You know the Midwest. You, you oh, went yeah. to college and. Indiana, you got a little Hoosier in you, not yeah. much. <laughs> no, I got no, I got a lot of Hoosier in me. Trust me, I got a whole lot of Hoosier in me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm just tickled that I'm talking to the former governor of Ohio. I'm talking to the former ambassador to India. I'm talking to the former Peace Corps director. Say nothing about the other stuff in his career. Uh, uh, graduated uh, top of his class from Yale. Went on to become a Rhodes Scholar. I'm just delighted to be in dialogue with him. And he is so well prepared for this conversation. He knows where I went to college. He knows that I work for Tom Bradley. So it, it's impressive. Uh, I find myself um, oftentimes counseling my friends, Governor, uh, because I've done this for so long. People always come to me to ask me how to be a better guest. How can they be better when they're being interviewed? And so I talk to friends and others who I try to offer advice to. And it always helps to, to know more about your host. And so you've done your homework. and You know me as well as I know you. And that, I, I find that fascinating, but I, I, am, I am humbled by that. I, I thank you for this time. Let me just close by saying not just thank you for this conversation, but thank you um, for, 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 for being in that mercy frame, that mercy frame when you were the governor of Ohio and commuting those death row uh, inmates and understanding what so many of those black and brown women had gone through. Um, nobody justifies the killing of another, but uh, when they're being abused in that way, you 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 were in a mercy frame, and that's a big deal. His book is called. You, that's a whole other story. I know it is. I know story. it is. Speaking of a whole other story, his book is called "In the Heart of It All: An Unvarnished Account of My Life in Public Service." Uh, Governor Dixon, let's good to have you on this program, sir. All the best to you. Thank you for your time. It's great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Uh, love that guy. Uh, more of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Speaking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show.